Welcome to episode 12 of Advanced Scout, your favorite podcast about clutch baseball, a card game that's actually a board game about a ball game. I'm Paul Seeley, manager of the Fed Wheezy Fusion. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you that Clutch has a Discord, and it is awesome. Chat about the game, play games, check out cool team building resources, get ready for a brand new set, and more. Come join us. A link to the Discord will be in the description of this podcast. Well, we're here. It's a new day, a new year, a new set, and if you have been playing for the last two years on the same set like I have, I think you will be very thankful that we have some new cards to play with. But before we get into the new set, I think it's important to kind of look behind us and see what led up to this. So first, as I look behind me, um, I see my bed and kind of like a bookshelf next to it. And, you know, those are both like up against the wall. Um, a little bit of a mess on the floor back there, but nothing crazy. Um, you know, my phone charger is like plugged in next to the bed so I can charge it while I'm sleeping. Um, yeah, that's most of the things that's significant. But in all seriousness, I think what's really important is that we understand why we built the way we built before and if that's going to change in the future. So for me, I know something that I was a pretty big advocate of in 2020 and 2021 was not to build around your stadium because my opinion was you want a good team first, pick a stadium second. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that there were straight up players who were better value than others. Not like no matter which way you slice it, there were players who weren't different. They were just straight up better values. And we saw that in a lot of different cases. We saw that in starting pitchers versus relievers. We saw that in certain batters were just extremely overpriced or underpriced. Um, you know, my math that I did had certain players basically like 10, 15% better than others. And some of those players were players that shouldn't be that high. Like Babe Ruth should not be considered a really good, like better than everybody else when it comes to his pricing, because he's really expensive. He has a lot of icons. Those are things that should make him appear to be a bad value. Like if I'm measuring how well his card performs and I'm comparing it to his salary, somebody who has, you know, a hundred points dedicated to icons should theoretically have a higher salary than his card would suggest. But that didn't happen. Babe Ruth was considered the second best value in the set for my math is concerned. And, a lot of that is just when certain things were pushed to certain extremes, we kind of got to see a little bit of the flaws in the formula, basically. And because of that, I think that informed a lot of the way I and many others built our teams. We thought, well, 
there are certain players that are very clearly the best value. So we need to make sure we have those players and then we try to figure out the rest. So we saw a lot of teams that were kind of stars and scrubs. We saw a lot of teams that went with four inning and five inning starters. All of those were done to exploit the formulas as much as possible. You know, because if you need Babe Ruth, or maybe you say you want Jordan Alvarez and Edwin Rios and three other guys who are really good value, all of a sudden you don't have points for the rest of your lineup. So I think those were the correct decisions, but that informed a lot of our team building before. So when we're talking about how we do team building going forward, we need to make sure we consider that maybe those assumptions should not hold true in a future set. Um, as we go through these, I will tend to say that some of those assumptions I'll be getting rid of, some I'll be modifying a little bit, and some I'll just straight up be keeping. So let's talk about a lot of the changes coming into this set. I'm not going to talk about all of the changes in the player cars, the salaries, the stadiums. Today we're going to talk about the players. Um, I'll talk about stadiums in the next episode, and then I'll talk about strategy in the future set. So, the biggest change that has been made is the introduction of swingmen. So, swingmen are players who can pitch either as a starter or in relief. So, they'll have four or five innings they could pitch as a starter, and two or three innings that they could pitch as a reliever. For those who aren't necessarily as crazy as I am about doing all the math and stuff, a five-inning starter can pitch the same number of innings as a two-inning reliever. Because a two-inning reliever can pitch one game in one day, two games the next day, and then they rest. So they've pitched three innings in three games. So that's one inning per game. A five-inning starter pitches five innings in one game, then they get four days of rest. So that's five innings in five games, or one inning a game. So as far as pricing, a two-inning reliever and a five-inning starter with the exact same card will be the same price. This was not the case in the last set, because starters were more expensive than relievers were. That is the case in this set. We'll get into how that changes in a little bit. But swingmen are really interesting because they can kind of perform both roles depending on flexibility. The difficulty is it's kind of hard to manage a lot of different swingmen. Um, a, if you are starting a swingman, he cannot have pitched in the previous game. So he has to be completely fresh. So if you plan on starting somebody in the next game, you need to make sure you're not pitching him in the game you're currently in, which also means you have to plan those things out in advance. So that requires a bit of micromanaging on the manager's part. Although I have said, and I will continue to say, that bullpen management is, if not the most important skill, one of the most important skills that differentiates good managers from great managers. Being able to manage your bullpen is so thoroughly important and that's going to be even more true in this set. So 
Swingmen are interesting. The way my initial impressions are, I initially wanted to see if I could just have like 10 Swingmen and just have ultimate versatility. What I ultimately came out to was that this was not a good idea. And the reason why is because you honestly don't need all of those innings. I've broken down the math of this before, but if you have six two inning, if you have six one inning relievers and two multi inning relievers in your bullpen, your six one inning relievers, each of them will pitch for one inning and then one inning and then rest. So they're pitching two thirds of an inning per game. A multi-inning reliever pitches one inning per game, like we've already said. So if you have six one-inning relievers times two-thirds of an inning per game, that's three innings a game. If No, it's four innings a game. I can't do math. It's four innings a game. And then two multi-inning relievers, one inning each, that's two more. So if you have six one-inning relievers and two multi-inning relievers... That's six innings a game from your bullpen. Now, the depth of your bullpen is going to determine how great those innings are. But generally speaking, the innings you get from your bullpen are fairly reliable as far as the amount. Because it takes a lot to lose an inning in one inning, right? Like giving up four runs or four walks in one inning is fairly rare. So... If you're running 10 swingmen, that means you have at least five in your bullpen, which means you're paying for a lot of innings that you do not need. And so when that happens, you're just wasting a lot of points. My first attempt, I put in probably about 10 swingmen, and I hated my pitching staff. Now, most of us who are building are going to hate our teams regardless because it's harder to build now but we'll get into that later and I felt much better once I switched to having more starters the formula I have generally come down to if I want to utilize swingmen is I think you want to have one or two spots in your rotation for swingmen so if you have two spots in your rotation you probably have four total swingmen. So that's two who start, right, and two in relief. Obviously, you switch them depending on what you need. That would allow you potentially to play matchups. Um, you know, if you're going against a team with a bunch of righties, you put in the swingman who has R plus three, and vice versa. And those swingmen that don't end up starting end up being basically your long relievers that you are going to pay for anyway, because you always want at least a couple. So in general, I think that's how you would want to do it. You could go for just a one swing man as like the fifth starter. So maybe you have two swing men. One ends up starting, one ends up relieving. You kind of plan it based on your matchup. Uh, that's also very possible. So I think you kind of, if you're going to mess around with swingmen, I think that's the way you're going to do it. I don't think you're going to have a lot of success going for more than, you know, four or five swingmen. Um, 
you know, I happen to have, like, there's one, I think, um, not into super specifics, but Zach Lothar is a swingman that is really cheap. And I don't really count as a real swingman because he's like 120 points. So, like, yeah, you can have him as, like, your fifth or sixth swingman. But let's not, I mean, you're, he's there because he's cheap and he's lefty R plus three. So he's not there as, like, a main innings guy. So I think that's how you mess around with swingmen. And an important thing about swingmen is that you can play around with matchups. And that goes into our next, one of our next big changes, which is there is a slight change in salary of how handedness bonuses work on pitchers. Um, I don't, I don't want to ever give extreme specifics on how the formula works because I don't want you to be able to just recreate it yourself. Um, what I will say is that my understanding is that for starters, a same type handedness bonus is going to be a little bit cheaper. So if you're a righty with R plus three, that R plus three is going to be a little bit cheaper now than it was in the last set. And the reason for that is pretty clear. It's really easy to play platoons against starters. And you get to set your lineup a certain way versus starters. Oh, the starter has R plus three. I can set all of my lefties at the beginning of the lineup. That really screws over the starter. So it's not really fair if we charge the starter the same amount for the handedness bonus that we do the reliever. Because the reliever, you get to choose when they come in. So that type of bonus for starters went down. Um, Cross-handedness bonuses, so a righty with an L-plus bonus or a lefty with an R-plus bonus, is the exact same price in this set for a starter as it was before, because it's just higher than a same side-handedness bonus. So it's more expensive, but also not more expensive. It's relatively more expensive than normal-handedness bonuses were. And the reason for that is pretty obvious. You get an extra bonus against switch hitters. So it's not like double or anything. It's just a little bit more. And I think that's important because, I mean, we saw how the meta works. Everybody goes for as many cross-handed pitchers as possible. I honestly don't expect that to particularly change very much. Because uh, it's just useful to have somebody to throw in against a switch hitter and to you know just get a little bit extra from that handedness bonus, but you will have to pay a little bit more for that than you were before. For relievers, handedness bonuses went up for both. So a same side handedness bonus is going to be higher than it was before for a reliever. This is because relievers, you get to pick your matchups. And last season, last set was as good of an example as any because it was such a reliever dominant meta of people you know, you have an R plus three guy, you get to pick to throw that guy against two or three righty hitters. So you're getting more value out of that R plus three than a starter would. So it only makes sense that that's going to cost a little bit more. How much more? That's going to be up for you to decide if that's worth it or not. But it does cost a little bit more. And 
cross-handedness bonuses will be a little bit more than even that. Because again, you get to play the matchups. So we're trying to make it not such an obvious decision to play matchups in your bullpen. I still think there's going to be plenty of people doing that. I think I'm certainly going to be one of them because I think it's something that I'm very good at and something I can get, I can still get some good value from. But I think it's important that there is a cost to that. I think it may, it ensures basically that if you're going to get value from your relievers, it has to be because you manage them properly. You're not going to get value just by throwing them out there with very little regard for who they're going up against. And you have to build them, right? So you can put, you can have the right person to put in the right situation. So the next part of pitcher salaries that have changed is outs versus command. So without, I don't know exactly how this formula works. Um, I know that just in my general um, spreadsheets, my data tended to favor high out and low command pitchers. My suspicion would be that this is because command was priced higher than it should have been, or outs were priced lower than they should have been. Uh, command is a little bit better than an out as far as how good it is, but I have a feeling the prices were way out of whack. So something you'll notice if you look at this set is that all of the 16 and 15 out pitchers feel so absurdly cheap. And the reason for that is because that's actually how good they were. They weren't nearly as good as you thought. And I know it's just one out and that doesn't seem like a lot, but generally those lower out guys are going to have more command. So you're actually getting more rolls on that one out than before. So it really does make a difference. I mean, it's still, I think now it means that those are valid choices to make. Having a six command, 16 out starting pitcher for 210 points is a thing now. You have to understand that this is a specific meta decision. That pitcher is going to be much better against a good hitter and much worse against bad hitters because a bad hitter just gets the four uh, walks or singles on the pitcher's chart for free, whereas the extra command can prevent a good hitter with a good chart from getting on their chart. So a lot of that's a meta decision, right? If you pick the three command 18 out pitcher, that person is going to shut down weaker hitters. The six command 16 out is going to do much better against the better hitters, but also tends to give up rallies every once in a while. So you're kind of making a meta decision on what kinds of batters you're seeing. I think a lot of the reasons some of us felt like the meta was really stale in the last set was because this meta decision didn't exist. We There wasn't an option to have good 16-out pitchers. They were too expensive. And so everybody was running high-out pitchers. And so everybody was also running the best value hitters and it just ended up being the same teams against each other and who can roll better for a 
big chunk of the games. Um, I know that's how I felt in the last season. I know that's how a lot of people I have talked to felt. And I think this is a big reason why. Because when everyone's running the same team, it just feels like you have very little control over how you win. So, ultimately that means that different kinds of pitchers are going to be rosterable. You know, in the last set, a 16-out pitcher was borderline unrosterable for me. Now that's not nearly the case. Um, the other thing I'll put into this is a lot more pitchers have natural doubles on their charts now. Um, but, in general, the back end of the chart with home runs is higher. So there's more pitchers with a 20 double, but there are very few pitchers with like 23 home run compared to before. So what that's going to mean is there's going to be pitchers who give up more doubles, but you're going to have a lot less of the, oh, I did everything right. I got on my chart. Dude just rolled a power die 23 and it's a home run and I can't do anything about it. You're going to get a lot less of that. And that's a good thing. Because uh, that never really felt fair. As somebody who got a lot of those home runs, it really didn't feel fair. So, basically what this means is we have a lot of different kinds of pitchers. We're going to have pitchers who have low command and high outs. We're going to have pitchers who have high command and low outs. We're going to have pitchers who have natural doubles. And therefore you save a little bit of money. And we're going to have pitchers who have high outs and somehow a 20 double too. So what this means is you have a lot of different kinds of pitchers for different situations, which some of that when your starters specifically is going to be a medical in your bullpen. However, I think it means that when you consider the versatility of your options, you have to consider what kind of pitcher they are. You want to consider, of course, lefty and righty, L plus and R plus. But I think you also want to consider, do you have all 16 out pitchers? Do you have all 18 out pitchers? You probably want some of both because both are going to be good in particular situations. Do you want to have a really high command but natural double, double pitcher? you're going to want that guy to throw against the really elite hitters because yeah, you know, they get a natural double that sucks, but you also don't want to give the advantage to Mike Trout. So there are genuine trade-offs between one kind of pitcher and another. And I think the more legitimate choices we have, which I think we do have in this set, the more important it is to build a bullpen that is really balanced, that has a lot of different options. And that's really hard in this set because relievers are more expensive than they have been before. And for good reason. Relievers in general were way too cheap before. It was way too easy to get good value from them. So you're going to have to really... Um, work the puzzle, so to speak. You have to figure out where your points are going to go. I think you're going to have to find cheap relievers to kind of cheat innings a little bit here and there. Um, you're going to have to pick the matchups right, 
And sometimes you're just going to have a pitcher out there who you know is unreliable, but you have no better options. And that is part of the challenge. And I think building a bullpen is going to be even trickier this set than it was before. And that gets into the last point, which is that I've kind of mentioned this already, but starting pitcher and relief pitcher salaries are different than they were in the last set. To sum it up, basically to explain it in short, um, the way cards get salaried is, okay, a pitcher has this command, these outs, these hits, these walks, these doubles, this these home runs, this clutch, this fielding, etc. Right? They have all of these stats. Then you multiply that by the number of innings that that pitcher can pitch, and then that's the salary of the card. The multiplier used for starting pitchers was different than the multiplier used for relievers. Um, part of this is a carryover from old salary formulas back in 2018, 2017. Um, part of this is also fueled by the idea that, you know, with stuff like massive efficiency, with stuff like dialed in, with stuff that, you know, really powerful momentum cards, starting pitchers are naturally a little bit um, prone to just kind of shutting down games. But what we saw in 2020 and 2021 is that that really didn't end up that way, and it ended up um, really hurting starting pitchers. And so that, cha that changed um, in this set. And so a reliever who can pitch the same number of endings per game as a starter will cost the same amount of points. So you're going to see starters feel extremely cheap if you're used to the last set, and relievers feel extremely expensive. And it takes a little bit to kind of get used to that. It's still taking me a little bit. Even though I've gone through some team building, it, it takes a little bit. So that's just going to take some time to get used to. You kind of have to trust the process a little bit on that one. Next, let's look over at the batters. Uh, the biggest change we made to batters was the speed split. We changed speed to be base running and stealing. Uh, I love this change. I think it really helps with the realism factor. It helps with the theming. You know, you get somebody who is a really good base runner and not a great stealer, and then suddenly they have 23 speed in the last set, talking to you, JT Real Muto. Um... That was just kind of weird. And different, you know, skills for different things. So the stealing is going to be how good you steal. And the base running is how well you run the bases. And for the most part, those are fairly correlated. Uh, because, like, how fast you are is a factor in both how good you are at stealing and how good you are at base running. But it's not the whole thing. So... You know, you're not going to see huge splits, but you're going to see some. And the also big thing with speed is the minimum floor of speed went up a lot. So instead of the minimum speed being zero, the minimum speed is now 11. And the reason for this is, one, we, we didn't want to have situations where you would never send a runner, Right. So, like, Miguel Cabrera in 2020, I actually don't remember what his speed was. I'm just assuming it was low. You would just never send any time, right? 
even if there's two outs and he's running home from second on a single, you would never send him because he has such a low chance of being safe. That isn't really how baseball works. Like, people can get thrown out going home on a single, but it's pretty rare, and people will go very often, no matter how slow they are. So, the floor for base running and stealing went up. Because, as it currently was, you had, like, a 0% stealing chance on a lot of your players, and that's clearly not how baseball works. So it got rid of a lot of the automatic safes and a lot of automatic outs that were happening. Um, the thing that put got rid of a lot of automatic safes were some of the rules we've changed as far as limitations to how much you can add to things. I'll get into that in the strategy episode. But as far as it pertains to base mechanics, you only get plus three for going home and plus three for two outs, so that compensates for it a little bit. Uh, you know, so if you're on 11 speed, you'd be a 17 going home with two outs instead of a 21. But that 17 is still a lot better than a 10 if you were zero speed. So ultimately, you're going to see a lot fewer double plays as a consequence of that, because an 11 speed is a 16 on a double play instead of a zero being a five. And that's also pretty realistic to MLB, right? Very few ground balls are ever, oh, that's automatically a double play. No matter how poorly the defense fields that, guaranteed double play. Like, that doesn't happen in baseball. So, I think this, while it feels weird, it's an important change for realism. And I think one of the side effects is you'll see some of the speed ratings and think that, man, there's not much of a difference between this guy's speed and another. And that's because we've lowered the range. The the range is smaller than it was before. So a guy who's 23 on, you know, 23 base running and 18 stealing, they're like, well, you know, five difference being the maximum difference there is in the current set, which it is. There's no player above that. Um, that feels like that's not a ton, but if you think about it, that's like almost a third of the entire range of speeds. So it is kind of a ton. So that is something you're going to have to keep in mind when looking at cards. But it, I think it's interesting because I think speed in general got a little bit cheaper. I, I don't know this from any inside information at all. I'm just looking at the cards. I end up with higher speed guys than I was before. Uh, it could be that with a lower floor, like those super slow guys aren't Omega cheap anymore. It could just be that speed got a little cheaper. I'm not entirely sure. Um, one thing I do suspect um, pretty strongly is that speeds above 20 are not exponentially expensive. Um, this was never confirmed to me by anybody in the dev group. Um, just for full disclosure, I probably should have mentioned this before, I am now a mod for the uh, Clutch Baseball game, which means I do have a part in um, creating cards and creating strategies. So when I say stuff, I'm going to try to be very clear about 
if what I'm saying is from actual knowledge I have, like confirmed or just suspicions. So this is just a suspicion, but something that I'm pretty sure was happening was that as you went above 20 speed, the cost per point went up more. So the cost of going from 20 to 21 speed was cheaper than the cost of going from 21 to 22, etc. And the reason I suspect this is because, you know, you, the way I ended up viewing players value-wise and picking them out over a very large set, mind you, right? So, like, this isn't just like a, oh, this one card is the only card that this applies to. Like, when we have 1,500 hitters in the set, this is a pretty significant pattern here. The players who had 20, 18, 15 speed were fairly quick but weren't significant outliers in how much value there were, right? So in my sheet, I'm measuring how good is your player going to hit versus their salary. So theoretically, if a player is really fast, they're going to see a low value because that's not being factored into that equation, right? So, you know, that's up to me to manually bake in. So the players who were 20 speed, 18 speed, 15 speed, they were generally consistent. Like they weren't, you know, great values, but they were, they were decent, right? Like they were fine, slight negatives, but the players who are 23, 24 were like huge outliers. So my suspicion is that those higher numbers were exponentially more. And there actually is like is legit like validity to this idea, because if you think about it, like defenses work on a bell curve. So like the amount of players who are average defense is way higher than the amount of players who are elite defense, right? So the twenty-fifth point of speed is means that you are basically going to run and try to steal on a much larger subset of pitchers because right like if the average if an average catcher plus an average pitcher is let's just say 12 um, then that you know being able to run against a 12 and then against the 13 is like means you're going to get way more opportunities than being able to run against like a 10 or an 11 right because more people are going to be near the middle I don't agree that that's how they should be priced because to me, a 5% chance is a 5% chance. And it's not up to us to predict what the meta of defense is going to be. Yeah, there's going to be a bell curve of averages, but it's not up to us to predict the meta. So that is a change I suspect has been made. I also know for, I know it has been confirmed uh, that defense was exponential before. So going from four defense to five defense was a lot, and going from zero defense to one defense was barely any at all. And we've that has definitely been changed. I know that for a fact. Um, and again, I think the same method, the same reasoning for that is the same reasoning as before. Um, and also like stuff like top ten, like that gets better if you have more defense. 
Um, so like I get I get that. I just don't think that should be the case. And what's going to happen now is, you know, in previous in the last set, I ended up with a lot of plus two and plus three defense guys because that's kind of the middle, right? It's not that much more expensive than a plus one or plus zero. But a plus four, plus five was like a lot. So I kind of just had all my dudes like somewhere in the middle and it kind of worked out. I think you're going to see a lot bigger of a difference in how people build this year. I think people in general tend to build with too high of a defense, um, or at least maybe not too high is the right word. I think people are very scared of low defense and they're more scared than they should be to the point where a lot of people won't even consider having defenses below 10 or below eight or whatever. And so I still think the meta will probably be dominated by the higher defense guys, but it's not an easy choice at this point because that one, that one defense player actually is significantly cheaper and that five defense player actually isn't like ex insanely expensive. So again, you're, you're going to get more variety and more of an ability to kind of pick what you want. Um, so I think that's really good. The other thing that's changed about defense is that second and third base are no longer plus four defense. They are plus three. So your shortstop is still plus five. Your second and third base are plus three and your first base is plus two. This makes your maximum infield a plus 13, which matches the maximum outfield of plus 13. So Basically, that plus two third baseman you're looking at isn't really as bad as you think. And that uh, plus three second baseman is actually pretty good. So you just got to keep that in mind. Um, I think that does mean we're going to see fewer double plays, which compounded with the speed changes definitely means we're going to see fewer double plays. Um, if you are somebody who sets a hard threshold, like I'm always going to have an infield above 10, I think you're going to find yourself restricting your team a lot more than you were before because you have two less maximum defense to play with. So that is something that's changing. The last thing I like to talk about with the hitters is in general, their on base has gone down a little bit. And the reason for that basically is the way we are calculating a player's card is much more realistic than it was before. So a lot of how we determined salary before on hitters was basically very static. So basically your outs plus your on base is like a number. And that's how like that costs how much so you're your 12 on base, four outs, that costs a certain amount. If you have a 12 double, that costs a certain amount. If you have an 18 home run, that costs a certain amount. But none of those things were dependent on each other. The only things that were dependent on each other were outs and on base. And so what ended up happening was players at the extremes, like Babe Ruth, were insanely valuable. Because when you have 14 on base, that 18 home run matters, although Babe Ruth had 19 home run, but that 19 home run is more valuable, but costs the same 
than a 19 home run on an 8 on base hitter. So when we do salaries for hitters now, we're factoring in the whole card. So we are literally measuring how well that player is going to perform versus an average pitcher, and how well they perform determines their costs. Now, we also have to add in stuff like speed, stuff like defense, stuff like clutch, and those are arbitrary values. So it's kind of up to you to determine, are we making those things too expensive or not? But as far as how they perform, that is based on hard data. Um, one of those calculations um, is WOBA, which I have used in my sheet to determine value a lot. Um, I wasn't part of the salary creation or anything, but I know that that's one of a few different statistics they use to determine salary. And so what you will see is that hitters in general just feel a lot fairer in value, but also they're a bit worse. And there's a lot of reasons why. That's one of them, because I think we realize, like, oh, when we don't, like, consider certain things, the numbers get a little crazy. And so if a player has a really high on base, their home run's going to be a little bit higher, a little bit higher too. Um, but also, in general, I think we realize that when we had projected a player to hit a certain on-base percentage against the average hitter, against the average pitcher, what happened was most of our set was above average hitters, because that's what's going to happen. And most of our set was above average pitchers. So when that happens, weird things happen, right? It's not necessarily an exact amount above average. And so that's a lot of what happened. There were also some cards that were just straight-up errors in print um, that should not have been the on-base and out combinations that they were. Uh, they were salaried correctly, for what it's worth. So, like, they were salaried what they should have been under the 2020 and 2021 formulas, but they were just better than they should have been uh, based on their real-life statistics. So, in general, um, it's going to feel like the numbers have gone down a bit. Also, we have not near, we don't, we don't have any historical players. So that was also a pretty significant portion of our like best beefy hitters, right? So without a lot of those, our numbers go down a lot. Um, and I think that means hitters will feel bad when you start building. Relievers will feel bad and starters will feel pretty good. But the more you build into it, the more you'll get used to it. And you mean you gotta have some hitting, right? And you gotta have some pitching. You gotta have somebody to pitch in relief, right? So um, I don't really think that means that, oh, well, naturally we're gonna see a lot of starting pitchers. I don't really think that's the case. Um, maybe, I think more people will do it just because they can and they couldn't before, but I don't think that that is necessarily the outcome here. I think hitters are now fairly priced and pitchers are now fairly priced and it's kind of an open question as to what works. Um, and so when everything is kind of more evened out, which I firmly believe in, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a mod of the game, like I genuinely think 
that this game is a lot more even now. Um, there's a wider meta, and the amount of advantage you can get just by picking the best cards is a lot lower. And so what that means is a lot of the difference between the value of your roster and the value of someone else's roster is how well your team works together, how well your team works with your stadium. Those are going to be the two main things. So I don't think I'm still going to be somebody who says you must build completely for your stadium because I do think you need to make sure your team works really well together. You need to make sure your batters have good variations in handedness. You've got to make sure you have a good balance of different kinds of pitchers in your bullpen. You've got to make sure you have enough innings in your bullpen. Make sure you don't have too many innings in your bullpen. All of these are things that are really important. If you have a bunch of speed guys in the front, you want to make sure you have contact guys behind them. All of these are really important things that will be, instead of a small part of the margins, pretty much the entire margins of your roster versus anybody else's roster. And, you know, the, the only thing from there is how well do you play the team? How well do you play the cards? And I think you're going to see a lot of games. You know, I do think on one hand that's going to mean some games will feel like, yeah, DICE had a little bit control over that, but that's always going to be the case. I think what it means is when you win a game, it's probably because your team played where like the way it was supposed to. And if you lose, it's because your team design didn't work out. Not all the time, but I think in general that's going to be the case. And that means the decisions we have to make in team building are a lot more granular than they were before. Like in 2020, 2021, you know, I had like 10 guys that were guaranteed to be on my team most of the time. That's not the case anymore. And the last thing that's going to impact team building with the players is we have a smaller set. So instead of like 1,500 players, we got like 500. You know, you don't have a million players to choose from. You can't say, okay, I want a lefty pitcher with positive clutch around 200 points who has 17 outs and has an R plus one or more. Like you can't do that. Um, you have to make decisions based on your options. And so when you have fewer choices, that means you have to decide, okay, do I want to make a sacrifice here or a sacrifice there? Right? Do I want to, okay, well, this picture isn't perfect. Um, do I want to just keep that picture here or do I want to adjust something else in my bullpen to make it work differently? You know, same thing with the lineup, right? Okay, well, this lineup isn't perfect, but I have good defense. Or maybe it's, well, you know, my infield's a seven, but this lineup works really well and the way I kind of want it to function, and I think that's going to be more important. So that's kind of, those are the kinds of decisions that are going to be a lot tougher to make now. And I think that's a good thing. It means T-building is going to be more dynamic. It means we're going to see a lot of different kinds of rosters. And it means you're going to have a lot more difficult decisions to make. And you will get to see when you play what, those decisions were. You're going to see whether they were the right ones to make or not. 
and I don't know if you necessarily got that feedback quite as much before. Um, so I am really excited for this set. I hope you are too. And next episode, I will talk about the stadiums and how much or how little you should be building towards them. And until next time, have fun with the set. Hopefully opening day in baseball is good for you. And opening day in your clutch boxes will be soon. I drive without a rear view mirror because I don't want to look back. <laughs>